The reading this evening comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses, excuse me, I haven't got my spectacles with me. Um, 17 to 24. And I'm sure Richard will, as his usual style, will illuminate that greatly in a moment. Living as children of light. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, but put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So he made new in the attitude of your minds and put and to put in the new self, put on the new self, sorry, my class, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour. Thank you, Howard. That's, uh, that's great. I think you should make, take notes, Louis, at this point, if you would. Um, this is the first, as uh, Neil said, of a series of sermons in the second half of Ephesians. And we are, of course, going to look at that passage that's just been read to us. But before we do that, I think it's worth looking back, just briefly, at what Paul has said in the first half of the letter to the Ephesians. Because what he does there is he talks to us about our situation, our standing and status as Christians, and in particular, the blessings that we have as a result of what Jesus has done. And that's the context of the passage for today. So just going right back to chapter 1, he says that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he expands on that. And he says that he has predestined us to be adopted as his sons. We are rightly called the children of God. And then he talks about how that's been done. How because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. That's chapter 2. 
And he stresses that this is all of God. He says, for it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, he says. And then he moves on, and he reminds us in chapter 3 that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And then in chapter 4, he moves on and talks about how God equips us. He's given us gifts. And in particular, he's given gifts to particular people for the good of everyone. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And our overall objective so that we will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that's Christ. We're we're aiming at Christian maturity. Now, of course, he has, during the course of that, indicated that there's a response needed from us. In particular, at the beginning of chapter 4, what he says is, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And what we're looking at today, and we'll be looking at in coming weeks, is his expansion of that. His description of what that living a life worthy of our calling is all about. So we need to look at it. But before we do that, there are just two things I suggest we also need to do. The first is, could I urge you to have the passage open in front of you? Now, there's no excuse because I went round and I made sure there were Bibles in all of the benches before the, uh, before the start. And I know there are at least four in every bench, and it's only in that back one. There are five people. So you're bound to be able to have one each. Jolly good. Right. So if you've done that, uh, look it up. It's on page 1175. Uh, and... Um, uh, it starts at uh, chapter, sorry, verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Okay, 11.75. Right, that's the first thing. The second thing is we need to pray. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have called us to be your people. Thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Please now show us how we should respond so as to live the lives for which you made us. Please speak through me, and please speak into all of our hearts. Amen. Okay, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That's addressed to the Ephesian Christians, to the Ephesian church, but there's nothing in this passage that is specific to them. It clearly applies to us as well. So what he's saying to us is, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What does he mean by Gentiles? He's talking about people who are not part of the people of God. I'm sure most of you are aware that the Jews used to divide the people of the world into two groups. Jews, the people of God, and Gentiles who are not the people of God, everyone else. Now, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, pointed out that not everyone who's physically a Jew, by no means, is spiritually a Jew, part of the people of God. But he also pointed out something else, which is that we, who come to Jesus, are, as it were, grafted in to the people of God. We cease to be Gentiles in that spiritual sense. And that was the same with the Ephesian Christians. And so what he's saying is here is, you must no longer live as non-Christians do in the futility of their thinking. 
Now, when he says the futility of their thinking, he's not saying, he's not dismissing all non-Christian thought. He's not dismissing all the great scientific thought or all sorts of other thinking. But what he is doing is saying that non-Christian thought, when it comes to the way we should live our lives, the objective of our lives, is futile. You may think, oh gosh, that's quite a strong word. Isn't, Isn't that a bit over the top? But think about it this way. In assessing whether something's meaningful or futile, you have to assess the goal to be achieved, don't you? Futility or otherwise depends on what you're trying to achieve. Well, what are we trying to achieve? What's our goal? Well, it is to carry out the purpose for which we were created. It is to do those things which our creator planned for us. Accordingly, all of our thinking has to be directed towards that goal. And by its very nature, non-Christian thinking is not, is it? And therefore, in that sense, it's futile. Oh, yes, our non-Christian friends may well think through all sorts of things, and they may achieve perfectly valid ends within their lives, etc. But ultimately, as a way of thinking to direct our whole lives... It's aiming at the wrong goal, and it's therefore going to end in in futility. That is a a really very important thing to get our minds around, because we need to understand that there is a fundamental incompatibility between a non-Christian way of thinking through life and a Christian way. I suspect that we as Christians, all of us, consciously or unconsciously, have the danger of adopting the sort of your overall framework of thinking in the world around us, and then putting a a, a Christian veneer on it. But that's dangerous. The truth is, we need to start in a totally different place from non-Christian thinking. We'll, We'll come back to that in a minute. But for the moment, let's just move on to verse 18. They, that's the the non-Christian Gentiles, as he's putting it, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, I don't know how many of you were here last Sunday morning, but I hope if you were, you will notice that Paul is there making exactly the point I was making last week about the need for the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand the Bible and apply it in our lives. His, the, the point is this. Sin does not simply corrupt our actions. It corrupts our thinking and our understanding. Jesus talked about us being blinded by sin. And we are. As I said last Sunday morning, modern psychology has a very similar idea. It suggests that an awful lot of our beliefs and things are not nearly as rationally based as we'd like to believe they were. Our understanding is often suspiciously conveniently close to our predilections and our personality. Hearts are hardened. Now, again, you may think about your non-Christian friends and say, well, hang on a moment. You know, to say their hearts have been, have been hardened, well, well, yes, but bear in mind, they may well be nice people. <laughs> My non-Christian friends are nice people. Paul isn't saying they're not nice people. What he's saying is that they are hardened against the word of God. 
they are hardened against knowledge of God. And that's true, isn't it? And there's another thing we do need to remember. When we assert that, we are not saying we're better than they are. If anyone thinks that they can go around saying we're better because we've understood this and you haven't understood it, you can't. I quoted from chapter 2 a moment ago. Did you you note? It is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. We are not better. But the truth is that unless we perceive the truth in Jesus, our hearts have been hardened against it. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Having lost all sensitivity. Again, we've got to stress, Paul is not saying, if you're not a Christian, you can't love, you can't have compassion, you can't be sensitive in that sense. No, that's not what he's talking about. Bear in mind, he's talking here about the entire orientation of our lives towards God. What he's saying is they've lost all sensitivity towards God, all sensitivity of God and of God's ways. That's what he's talking about here. And there's a problem. You see, if we don't have God at the centre of our lives, then experience suggests that we ourselves will be the centre of our lives. Oh yeah, in theory, it's possible to follow an idea humanity, compassion, whatever. But in practice, very few people can pull that off. And in practice, people who are not following God ultimately are self-centered. Not necessarily in the way that they're nasty people or things, but actually the lives are oriented around self. And what Paul says is, having done that, they have given themselves over to sensuality. It doesn't mean that everyone lives their lives in a continual orgy. What it means is that they've they've given themselves over to things that are ultimately to do with gratifying the self. Not not necessarily literally physical uh, 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 sensuality, but but the senses of the person. You you you, you You can satisfy yourself in various different ways. And ultimately, if we reject God, our philosophy will end up expressly or more likely by sheer implication, without even really thinking it through, in putting us at the centre. The problem with that is that kind of philosophy doesn't come labelled as such. You won't go out there in a non-Christian world and actually see people say, oh yes, I follow a philosophy of sensuality. Well, you do get a few. If you, if you Google it, you do. But, 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 but actually, uh, there aren't many. Actually, it generally comes with a rather um, soft and fuzzy gift wrap on it, this kind of philosophy. Just think for a moment. Think about this. Um, You're free. You are actually free to determine who you are, to to determine your identity. And you should determine it and explore your identity. Be yourself. Explore yourself. Express yourself. Don't Don't be constrained by external constraints. Take control 
of your lives. Live life to the full. Live life as you wish and attain fulfillment. Sounds quite exciting, doesn't it? It sounds liberating. Get rid of everything else. Take control. Be yourself. Explore yourself. Sounds almost ethical, doesn't it? But the trouble is, it's all about self. And ultimately, it is all about sensuality in that broad sense that I've, that I've given it. And what does, what does Paul say? He, he goes on and he, say, he says this. He says, uh, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Now, I'm sure you will immediately, I bet most people here immediately think of sexual impurity, but he's talking about it quite generally. The consequence of this will be the misuse of everything. We can, we can misuse uh, sexuality, but we can also misuse our, uh, our, our food and drink. We can misuse our possessions, our money, our jobs. We, we can misuse all sorts of things. It can lead to all sorts of dissension, violence, all sorts of things. Paul lists them elsewhere. Now, we could talk about all of that for a very long time. And actually, in coming weeks, we will return to it. But for the moment... I would just suggest you note the very end of verse uh, verse 19 with a continual lust for more. The problem with this kind of philosophy, no matter what it does, no matter how exciting and liberating it sounds, is that it leaves us dissatisfied. And it leaves us dissatisfied because it can't satisfy us. It's aiming at the wrong goal. That's why it's ultimately futile. You see, it promises liberation, but it's in the end a lie. And it leaves us dissatisfied. And the problem is, it's a bit like a drug. When you've got a drug and it it hasn't satisfied, the curious thing is, people take more of it. Of course, the conclusion should be to do something totally different, but that's not what happens, is it? And what Paul's saying is that this way of thinking is a downward spiral. Now, I've talked for the last few minutes uh, 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 about we. I've used the word we a lot, I think you'll, you'll notice. But I hope that what I've been talking about doesn't apply to anyone here. But take a look at verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. Well, did you come to know Jesus through that kind of philosophy and that kind of behaviour? I mean, if you are a Christian, you didn't, did you? You, you came to hear about the truth in Jesus, and that's, that's, that's what happened. It wasn't through any of this kind of uh, uh, worldly philosophy that you learned about him. It's interesting, incidentally, in in verse 20, uh, Paul uses Christ as a name rather than Jesus. Christ, of course, wasn't originally a name at all. It's an office, a title. It's Messiah, the anointed one of God, the anointed saviour of God. And it's quite striking Paul uses it there because it's emphasising that Jesus is God's anointed saviour. Truth is, as he puts it in verse 21, in Jesus And if we've become Christians, we have at least, in some extent, acknowledged that fact. And what we need to do 
is work through the implications of that in our lives. Let's go on to verse 22. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which was being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We've sort of touched on this already, haven't we? Naturally, we are just as sinful as everybody else. We are corrupted by sin, and we have sinful desires. Desires which are described here as deceitful by Paul for the very reason I gave a moment ago. They promise the world, and they lie. They don't satisfy, because the result is, is corruption. It's that downward spiral that I was talking about. And what Paul is saying is, we've got to put that aside. We've got to take it. It's like a heavy old overcoat. We've got to get it off and put it aside. Put aside that old way of life, that, that old way of thinking, those, those desires. We've got, to, we've got to get rid of it. As Neil was saying earlier, um, or oh, actually, was it the Archbishop? I confused the two. But the, 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 uh, the, the, it, it, this is not just a little bit of extra. This is, this is getting rid of all that way of thinking, getting all rid of all that. And, 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 and changing. And that brings us on to, to verse 23. I have to read the start of verse 22 again. You were taught, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you know there are two things there? You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Uh, Go back to verse 17, because Paul's making a real contrast here. The word in the Greek, right at the end of that sentence, which is translated here, thinking, is actually minds. It's the same word as is used in verse 23. So there's a contrast. You must no longer live in the futility of your minds. Instead, verse 23, you must be made new in the attitude of your minds. Do you see the contrast? Leave aside that old futility, all of that old stuff. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. And what that means is that our thinking needs to start and be founded in Jesus. Jesus, God's Son, second person of the Trinity, the person through whom all things were made, for whom all things were made, the person by whom uh, uh, we were redeemed. You see, our uh, thinking, our philosophy, our worldview, our reasoning needs to be based in that, in that reality about the whole of creation, in that reality about Christ. We need to focus on the fact that our purpose is based in all of that. Now, that is a totally different starting point from the reasoning of the world out there. And, and actually, it won't even be understood. It, it, is, it is a fundamentally different launching point. But, but we have to do it. Whatever people out there are saying, we do need to do that. Otherwise, we'll get off in totally the wrong way. So we need that complete change of mindset and worldview. But then there's the actions. Verse 24. Put, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you put aside all of that. Now now put on something different. 
completely new clothes. By the way, the, the, the idea of new self, the word new there, there are several words can be translated new in Greek. This one is young, fresh. Put that on. Get that, get that on. And what, we, what does that mean we should be doing? We should be seeking to be like God. It's back to that foundation of creation. We were created in the image of God. And we should be seeking to behave like God. We should be seeking to do things that are right and appropriate in God's eyes. To do things that are are in keeping with our position as people set apart for God. And if we do that, we will be following a worthwhile purpose. We will be fulfilled. That's the point of all of this. Actually, just pull back a moment. Just, just, just think it through step by step. God created us in his own image. God gave us our identity. We don't need to choose our identity or find our identity. God gave us our identity. And although we rebelled against God, we rejected God, he hasn't rejected us. He's called us back to himself. And he still has a purpose for us. And his purpose is that we live out that life of being in the image of God. Live out uh, God's righteousness and God's holiness, to use the words in verse 23. And you see, what we're called to do, what we need to do, is just that. We need to to pursue that purpose. And you see, if we do so, we will be following the purposes of God. We will be uh, pursuing a purpose given to us by God, and it, which is from God, and we will be living a life directed in harmony with God's purpose for the overall universe. So quite naturally, that won't be futile. That, that'll be fulfilling. For us, for everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's jolly exciting, actually. I don't notice very much excitement around the room, but I'm excited by it. I think that's much more exciting than all this stuff about self-expression, self-realisation, self-this and self-that. We can actually be part of the fulfilment of the purposes of God. Now... I can imagine some of you saying, well, yeah, I think that is exciting, but I'm not sure I can do it. And and you're sort of right, because we can't do it on our own. But there's a little clue in the passage that we're not on our own. Take a look at verse 23 again. Make yourself new in the attitude of your minds. Doesn't say that, does it? Be made new in the attitude of your minds. And a further explanation of what Paul is saying there comes from a verse I quoted earlier. Do you remember I said that uh, Paul reminds us that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine? I actually only quoted half the verse. The rest of the verse is this. According to his power that is at work within us. Today's Pentecost, we think about God's gift of the Holy Spirit. 
What this is saying is God's actually at work in us. God transforms us from inside to enable us to put on this new self, to put off the old and put on the new. What do we need to do? Well, we need to work with the Holy Spirit, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We need to seek to put off the old and put on the new. That's what Paul's saying we should do. But we must remember that we need to seek the Holy Spirit's help in doing that, in transforming us. And we also need to use the aids that God has given us. We've been thinking for some weeks about the Bible. Yeah, that's one of the ways God uh, God transforms us. I quoted earlier about how God has given gifts to different people in the church. We're not meant to do all this alone. We're meant to do it together, helping one another, using one another's gifts. But when you take all of that together, we can do it. You see, what Peter, in, in, uh, in his uh, second letter, said, God has given us all we need for life and godliness. We've got everything we need to do it. So, there's no excuse, but I hope we don't need an excuse. Surely, we should let go. We shouldn't live in the futility of thinking. It's pointless. It's a dead end. We should put all that off. Put off our old self. Put on the new. Live in accordance with God's purposes. And I've always been struck by the idea that at the end of that... God will turn to us and say, say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have worked in fulfilling my purposes. That's worthwhile, isn't it? Amen. Amen.